for joining us tonight on Sweet Liberty. It is Wednesday, the 26th of April in the year 2006, and I'm glad you're with us tonight, and I'm glad that Alan's with us tonight also. Alan, thanks for being here tonight. That's a pleasure, yep. So, what's going on? Oh, I'm just uh, busy uh, with all the emails that are coming in uh-huh. and uh, getting stuff printed up for sending out. Um, uh, that's really what takes the time is making up them up and getting all you're, packaged. You're yeah. Talking about the books. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's taking them up to get them copied. That's right. Yeah. Then you. I, I went in on Monday yesterday for another bunch. And I went into chapters, and the same thing happened that happened before. Uh, I was first there to make sure when it opened. And she says, come back about 12-ish. I came back at 1 p.m., and they hadn't started it. She said, both machines broke down when you tried to do the double-sided. Okay. Uh, and, and, and the people, of course, were coming and going with the single-sheet copies, side copies. So, again, it worked fine for, for the other ones, but not for me. <laughs> So I managed to go to another small printer who who did do them up in about an hour and a half. So go to the small printer from now on. Yeah, yeah. 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 So that was quite something. Well, I'm glad to hear you're getting uh, orders for that book. Yeah. Because you were losing, you were losing faith. Mm -hmm. Or maybe, I don't know. But, you know, like you said, well, people don't like to read. They don't. uh There are certain, there's a certain type of people. I believe that listen to the Sweet Liberty broadcast, mm-hmm. and of course you've been on here with us on and off ever since 1998. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're different. I believe they're different, mm-hmm. or they wouldn't be listening, Alan. There'll also be another uh, group, I think, as well. Um, there are less new ones, newcomers from the other shows, you know. Uh huh. And and maybe that's part of it too. It would be interesting if people, when they wrote, say where they heard you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And did they, uh, we better make sure, in fact, maybe you could do that right now, mm-hmm. is to let our listeners, well, I can do it, folks, if you're ordering Alan's books, those are the three that he's done cutting through, one, two, and three. It, uh, it, he, he cannot take personal checks. And he cannot use a postal money order, a U.S. postal money order. So when you order the book, please either send an international postal money order, and you can get them right at your post office. And I live in the Boons, and I can get them from our little post office. So I, I know that any post office you go into, just tell them you need an international postal money order, or you can send uh the funny money, IRS, Federal yep. Reserve note. That's right. I mean, I've got a, a bunch here that I have to send back because they're all just internal postal orders for the U.S. Uh-huh. Uh, and it says it right on it where they sign their name, valid only within the United States. Well, I know, but you yeah. know what? Mm-hmm. I'm not making excuses, but I don't know if I'd read that. Uh-huh. Yeah. If, I, I, if I went in and asked for a money order, uh-huh. I don't know if I'd read that. Uh-huh. Yeah. So that's why I wanted to make it real, real clear. And... Um, I'm not doing this in a way that denigrates people. I just know that it's so natural just to go in and get a postal money order. Mm-hmm. So we have to make sure when we do talk about it that people do understand that a U.S. postal money order or a personal check is not going to get it. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, international. They're going to be international. Yes, it has to be. Uh, it's just the same. You buy it at the same price, as far as I know. Yes. Yeah. So yes. it's uh, and it so it speeds things up for my end, uh, rather than me sending them all back and then uh, waiting for them coming back again. <laughs> yes. Well, I'm glad to hear that people are uh, ordering the book, Alan. Mm -hmm. It shows me is that they want to find out for themselves and they mm -hmm. they want to do further research. Yeah, these books, as I say, they're be entertained. By yeah. Two yeah. people having a conversation. Yeah. Uh, that's right. Um, see, these books are written to just sort of try and wake the person up as they're reading them. Yeah. Because I've realized that all the books with the usual format and Illuminati and all this kind of stuff, um, it, because we're trained in a certain way, they don't remember it. It, it doesn't have an impact on them. And so uh, I use a different technique of writing where they almost participate. In other words, it makes them think as they're reading. It makes them think as a reading. Well, and some of those um, photocopies of uh, pictures, drawings, mm -hmm. and from the uh, writings from the old books. Oh, yeah. Because those go back a long way. Oh, yeah, yeah. I had one of our listeners uh, write me, and he says, Oh, I just found out you, you've been hanging out with Alan Watt. Uh -huh. He says you were just blowing... I forget what it said. You were blowing away him his something. Uh -huh. uh, but, you know, he, he meant that, of course, in a positive way. Mm -hmm. um, oh, jeez, I was going to... Never mind. The reason I brought that up was that slipped my mind. Mm -hmm. But what you find is, I say, there's so much stuff. Uh, people will ask me often what other books can I read about and and so on. And what you'll find on the, on the major bookshelves... Um, the books are purposely put out there for a paper trail to be laid for you and and uh, whatever is exposing masonry generally comes from masons themselves or the high the very high masons um, and it's time to expose certain parts because they don't need the lower freemasonry anymore so I, I tell people don't waste your, your money buying uh, the, the oohs and ah type books that, make you, that astound you with the ooh and ah uh, these are put out there for your consumption because the real stuff is is, uh, is, um, is held by the elite although uh, you can't teach people uh, because you can discern between the lines what they're referring to, especially if you, if you uh, understand history. Well, you know what? You're right. Uh -huh. Because I've reread stuff that I've read in the past, mm -hmm. and so much jumps out at me, Alan, that I would have never noticed before. Yeah. And one of the things, in fact, I responded this to, maybe it was this gentleman, but I, I didn't know about the priesthood. Mm -hmm. And, of course... You certainly, you know, made us very aware of that right in those beginning 20 hours that we did uh, on the air. It wasn't, folks, it wasn't 20 hours in a row, but it was four nights a week for five nights, an hour each time. And it was our primer course, wasn't it, Alan? Yeah, definitely. Um, but the, the, the interesting thing is, so much of what I read... It mentions very casually, almost offhand, to see the priesthood. Mm -hmm. But it's always there. It's always there. It's always there. Mm -hmm. And even though it, I'm rereading stuff, it, I never noticed it before. Mm -hmm. Never noticed it before. Yeah. And then in the place where it is, it really does. It really does confirm what you had told us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, the world's been under a controlled system.
long time and people think we're just evolving with technology and this kind of thing they don't realize that outside the technology uh, it's the same money type system uh, the same uh, work ethic for the people in other words that's your function is to serve the system and um, they don't realize that that uh, this be manipulated down through the through the thousands of years. The same system, really, commerce, money, and, um, and pre-sumer. And, and yeah, pre-sumer definitely. Uh, sumer, they didn't invent this by themselves. In fact, they they sprung out of, up out of nowhere with this whole system uh, right there. So they learned it from a previous civilization, which they think are called the Harappans. And, uh, and and the Harappans no doubt got it from even an older uh, civilization. Harappan. Yeah, the Harappans is the name the historians and, and, and the archaeologists are giving to to the people who inhabited cities they're digging up now underneath all of the old Sumerian trade routes. And these these houses were were very well built. They even had indoor uh, running water and showers even. And we're going 6,000, 7,000 BC. So uh, this is an ancient, ancient commercial type system uh, that's come down through the ages. Uh, money is the key to everything. The, the, the whole structure of what we think is normalcy is really a system which is held together by money. And, and it's, it's not a happenstance thing for simply a bunch of elite to control. It's got a purpose and it's got direction. And they've always known the purpose and direction. And they literally plan centuries ahead at a time. And you know, the, the first inkling I got of that was when I, I, re, I read the, uh, um, the, the Communist Manifesto and then watched the implementation in the Soviet system of a 10-year plan for one particular area, 20 for another particular area in the society, maybe 50 and 100 year plan for another. And then you find that the United Nations runs on the exact same principle. So it's, it's like a huge investment business, really, this world. And like any big corporation, they plan out the next 100 years of investments. And that's, that's really what they do. And so the major events within your life, just like 9-11, were planned long before um, uh, it, it actually happened, long before they published their own, own books on it, like Brzezinski, uh, talking about the necessity of a Pearl Harbor-type event to motivate the public behind this war so that they could invade uh, Afghanistan first, then Iraq, then Iran, and then Syria. So, so these guys plan it way ahead. Now, we, we know they all belong to, the, to these uh, shady organizations which the public have been constantly thinking are official government agencies like the Council on Foreign Relations, but they are not. They're private institutions with an agenda, and they were created, uh, that branch was created uh, from the Cecil Rhodes branch of the Royal Institute of International Affairs in the late 1800s in order to bring about a global government with three united trading blocs. So it's exactly the same as the Communist Manifesto. That's what you find. The purpose of the Trilateral Commission. It's the, it's the three trading block areas of the world, yeah. and it's also the the, the 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 merging of the three parts of of the American continent. That's also the other oh, part of it. Mm -hmm. I thought about this. Mm -hmm. You know, when America was first growing, mm -hmm. there were thirteen colonies. Yeah, I know. Well, what? Just think about this, though. Uh -huh. There were separate states. Uh -huh. They were, 
you know, under the Articles of Confederation, that, that uh, uh, what did they call Continental Congress? Mm-hmm. It had no power whatsoever. Yeah. And uh, when they joined them all together in the United States, mm-hmm. what's so different to that than the United Europe country? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I mean that was the beginning of it. Yeah. And you know, somebody mentioned this to me one time, mm-hmm. and I checked it out and found that it was so. If you look at a map, each country is a different color. Yeah. Okay. Now, if you look at the United States map, each state is a different color. Yeah. It isn't all one color, like America. And, and it pretty much confirms their awareness that these were separate sovereign nations at one time. Yeah, and what it really is, and I'll, I'll tell you what really got me. I don't know if you saw the movie. It's called Gangs of New York with, oh. Tom, with Tom Cruise. Oh. Uh, Gangs of New York. Uh-huh. And uh, it's an interesting... Somebody, somebody was telling me they just saw it. It's an interesting take on the gangs that ran the extortion rackets in New York City... From way back. ...in the 1800s, and, and how they competed with each other and fought with each other. But it also showed, showed you the leader of one gang um, who was in cahoots with the early politicians and they would meet every so often and one, once the politician says you know the public are getting restless with the crime we'll have to give them a sacrifice who can you spare so the leader of the gangs thought of three older guys that he didn't need anymore he got them set up to be arrested and they publicly hung, hung them so they were actually giving us inside information weren't they well at the end of the movie was incredible because at the end of the movie the two major gangs uh, were squaring up for a battle to see who was going to take over the whole territory the whole city and it was at the time when the American um, uh, Civil War was beginning and just when they were squaring off for fighting in come these cannon shells from 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 brand new the brand new American Navy that was created and and they started shelling them and then the troops came in organized military troops and the message really was it was never said but the message was implicit and in, in what you saw the biggest gang of all has arrived yeah the federal gang well now do you know what uh, who, uh maybe it was Jeff that saw it but one of them he said was that they were actually rioting uh, when they were going to initiate the draft mm-hmm. and the federal government came in and shot them down yeah the biggest gang that, that had convinced the pub you see extortion rackets run on threatening people and they'll, they'll say to you give me so much money and I'll let you stay open another week well the government trained the public that you ta- you taxation is different by it's because it's a different word you see that's all it's the only difference there is and they train you that it's somehow normal and you pay them that money and they leave you alone until the next year it's the same, it's the same racket what does that have to do with initiating the draft though? Uh, there was one evidence mm-hmm. segment mm-hmm. where the people were actually opposing the initiating of the draft oh yeah because they were well a lot of people were well aware that this war had bigger it's actually like it's 9-11 again it had much bigger would that, that, would that have been the first world war what's that when they were going to institute the draft were they going to do it then uh, well yeah but they, they did it uh, in, in the American Civil War in the north oh I see 
and so so this new federal government they were opposing it. They yeah. were drafting people, weren't they? Yeah, they were. Uh huh. Oh, man. And, and, and all you had was a, a business takeover of all the southern properties. It was a business. It was an economic war, like all wars are economic, ultimately. Do you think that that was true, that... Uh I mean, because this was a movie, uh-huh. but do you think that that was true, that there was an opposition against it, and the federal government came in and... and oh, it's, it's, it's recorded that there was a lot of opposition to, to this, absolutely. Yeah. But was it recorded that the federal government uh, intervened and came in and shot at them? Oh, yeah, the, the, the federal government was sent to, to, to uh, and also grab people who were enlisted and didn't turn up. Uh, so there was no see democracy is wonderful there's no choice in democracy <laughs> and there's no complaints department you know this is it's one way or no way and and this is the system but all it is is one huge gang at the top and, and that the federal government really is just the, the biggest gang taken over uh, and instituting by law yeah the, the same con game as the little gangs have been playing for years well actually big time uh, since uh, the U.S. Constitution. Uh, well, the con part is good uh, uh, because really, I mean, it, it had meetings in Europe with all these top uh, leaders of different countries. Uh, they were so used to having wars that they used to toss coins to say, well, whose turn is it next time to start a war? Who's going to win it? And they'd, they'd all invest in the shipping and armaments and all the rest of it. And, and uh, the league would benefit. It didn't matter who won or lost. They all won. And and they had meetings. And, and then they realized that they couldn't take the whole world over. Um, the way it stood, no one trusted London. Because they knew this went into rape and pillage and, and loot for London's sake. And I say London because that, these are the guys who benefited. It was the big elite who lived, lived in London. And... Um, and they couldn't use France because they had a, a similar story at one point. Spain, too. They're all two old countries, so that they create a, a knight in shining armor that would pretend to lead the world to a new a, a new world order, a Novus Ordo Seclorum is right on the seal there. And uh, they create the United States as a, supposedly a champion for the world, and, and that's their job. It was to bring it was to bring the whole world under the one system, under a deception, and that's exactly what it's doing. And that the United States of America was initially founded this whole thing in mind. I read something somewhere one time about, uh, was it the chair, the seat, George Washington mm-hmm. at, the, uh, at the Constitutional Convention, mm-hmm. that there was a sunrise on it yeah. at Masonic, mm-hmm. and there was debate on whether it was depicting a sunrise or a mm-hmm. sunset. Yeah. And, and Franklin, at that very speech at the table with Washington, when they toasted them as the Grand Master of these United States, and that's in Franklin's own writings, he, he talked about the, the picture behind them, the, the portrait, also depicting a Masonic sunrise and the chair. So, so this was well understood. This, these were all Freemasons with a job to do that the public would never understand until it was completed. Well, for our listeners who may not have heard this, uh, I have a book here titled An Economic Interpretation of the Constitution, mm-hmm. and it was written by Beard. I think it was Charles Beard. And I do know that one of our listeners in Ohio, one of, one of the 
major supporter of the Sweet Liberty broadcast mm-hmm. while we were on shortwave. Uh-huh. Uh, had called me and said, you know how I can get it, and I found it for him on ABC Books. Mm-hmm. But, Alan, when you read that book, uh-huh. and you read the, the names of each of the 55 men there, mm-hmm. what their background was, what their... I mean, they they were lawyers, mm-hmm. they were land developers, yeah. every single one of them. And big there land developers. A couple or three there mm-hmm. that didn't have, uh, 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 at least apparently, huge sums of money. Yeah. But they all, every single one of them benefited when that Constitution was ratified. Mm-hmm. And I'm the one, you know... You, you, that that thing that Noah Webster wrote uh-huh. that I will defend the Constitution with my last breath, mm-hmm. Alan. That was me. Mm-hmm. Well, you know that, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it is, you think it's funny? I guess it is. It's kind of pathetic. Yeah, but that's that's uh-huh. the conditioning everybody's got. You oh, see. Oh man. Yeah. Um, you see the password even at the. I wanted to finish this. Mm-hmm. The name of the book again, folks. If you wanted to look for it, uh, or even in your library is the economic interpretation of the Constitution. And it it, it is not pleasant to read, but for me, I do, I want the truth no matter how hurtful it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and Beard is his last name. I think it was Charles Beard that wrote it. Mm -hmm. And it was a setup from the beginning. They had to make it look real. We know from from the, the various, various Masonic writings that have been published since then that George Washington used to meet with other members of the, the British Army in their lodges during that war, and he even signed his name in their, their books. You know. So it was a, a sort of put on. Uh, even Cornwallis, uh, if you read the, the histories of Cornwallis, he led the party in Britain initially. To, to, to allow America to become uh, a separate country. And next thing you know, he's given the very appointment to oppose them. This is a, this is a Masonic ritual you're, you're seeing there. Say that again. Yeah. <coughs> Cornwallis actually stood up. He was a, a member of the, the House of, of Lords or Parliament. And uh, he stood up in his own right memoirs is recorded and addressed the parliament and, and asked them to allow America to be uh, a separate nation but still bound under a, the form of a commonwealth a British commonwealth and others would follow the same laws etc and, and, and that was before the war uh-huh. the war actually the battle had ended uh-huh. the war wasn't uh, wasn't really ended formally no what I'm saying this is, this is before the war began Oh, the uh, the revolution. Yeah. Oh. So, so he gave he, he he actually led the party to leave America alone, and yet the crown appointed him as the guy to go and oppose America. See, it wouldn't make sense unless he was then led on in the big secret that this was a show for the world. I yeah. Yeah. I mean, Washington came out of that with with I think twenty miles more of of square square miles or more of of land. Oh yeah. So he's a busy guy, you know. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. At Natural Bridges. Mm-hmm. Uh, National Park. Oh yeah. There was a big sign there, and the land was George Washington. Uh-huh. Lots and lots of land, Alan. Oh, massive. And what people forget too is these landowners. They were big landowners. See, these weren't just little guys with a total land. And these guys had all, and their families before them, had been given charters to own those land by the British Crown. Washington himself was trained in, in the American colonial army. 
the British colonial army. It was the British who trained him as an officer. And that's when he was inducted into Freemasonry, he was in the British, when he served the British as an officer. And that's in his own histories, you know. So this was a, a setup from the beginning. Not only that, uh, when you go into the to the password at the time for the for the, the French uh, Illuminati, uh, they would use a French word, uh, which also is similar to a Greek word for spirit. The spirit in Greek is nu, it's n o u s, and so in French nu also means translating from the French to the English. And that was their password, was new, is, is U.S., us. <laughs> so, come on, I mean, this was a setup from the beginning. And then they put an Egyptian obelisk there for apotheosis to raise Washington to godhood. And no one asks why is an Egyptian obelisk standing in a supposedly Christian country. <laughs> I'll tell you why. Because a lot of people don't understand it. Yeah. Uh-huh. The Washington yeah. Monument, they, a lot of people don't even, well, they, they know it's an obelisk. Uh-huh but they don't know what the obelisk represents. Uh-huh. And, uh... And, and it's right over... It is ignorance. It isn't stupidity. It is because we're ignorant. You know, when I was first involved back there in 1990, late 91, uh-huh. uh, and beginning to wake up and... Uh, anyway, one of our networkers, when we had to... Council on Domestic Relations Networking Organization. Mm-hmm. He had been at the library. Now, this would have been probably around 93, maybe. Mm-hmm. And he called me up. But, well, he, he, he spent almost a year at the library uh, researching and just blowing him away, blowing the librarians away. Mm-hmm. And then, and then he'd send me huge manila envelopes full of stuff that he was pulling up. Yeah. And he called one evening, and he started talking about the Freemasons. Mm-hmm. Do you know how many Supreme Court justices are Freemasons? Oh, I know. But he, but he went on and on, and I said, Paul, mm-hmm. I hear what you're saying, but I said, listen to this, Alan. Yeah. I said, what's the significance of all this? <laughs> yeah, really. In the whole scheme of things. Yeah. <laughs> I'm talking naive, Kay. Uh-huh. I'm talking lack of knowledge. Mm-hmm. That's what I said to him. Yeah. Well, you, you always find the big obelisks uh, um, are, are towering over a stretch of water, generally a rectangular. The reflecting pool. And the reflecting pool, because what you're seeing in the obelisk is the male phallus, which is also fire over the water. It's over the female. That's what it. That's what it signifies. That the water is female in the Kabbalah, you see, which these guys all study. And so, it, so females like in Albert Pike said, it can only reflect. Uh, the godhood or, or, or the light of their husbands because as the moon can only reflect the sun's light uh, then what you're seeing with the obelisk and the water is the female could only reflect the glory of the spirit of, of Washington that's quite something yeah. we're going to take a break in 60 seconds uh-huh. I heard the tone and uh, that reminds me you know that comes right out of the Old Testament the New Testament uh-huh. Uh, with Paul, where he said that the the husband is the godhood of the family. Mm-hmm. I told you about my quote friend who bragged that God was no longer present with his former wife and daughter because he was gone. Yeah. He didn't say it, 
Uh, and maybe he believed it, mm-hmm. but if he believed it, he was gloating. Uh-huh. Or we're, folks, we'll be right back after this. We're ready to take a break. Yeah. So just stay with us. This is nice. I can hear the music. Oh, okay. And I heard the tone. So we'll be right back with you, folks. You know, Alan, huh? you had, you've said it many times, I think you said it tonight, maybe not, but they gave us all our heroes. Yeah. And um, I was thinking about, well, when I heard the commercial for the DVD, War of Northern Aggression, uh-huh. I thought back about, of course, what we were taught in history, and Abraham Lincoln was my hero. And I remember in the fourth grade, I mean, I was so impressed. And I, not because it was a required thing, I, I memorized the Gettysburg Address. Mm-hmm. That's how much of a hero Abraham Lincoln was to me. Yeah. And I wonder, for any new listeners that we might have, um, talking about the Constitution, and it is true that, to me, it was everything. In fact... Well, it was everything. I mean, as far as our, quote, freedom and liberty, uh, that's one of the reasons, Alan, that I can so relate to listeners, to especially new listeners. Mm-hmm. And it isn't that I'm not an intelligent person, but I was so um, absorbed and believed, so trusting in everything that we were ever taught. Mm-hmm. And so I look back at myself and how naive I was. Mm-hmm. And that's why I, I know it, it's a tough pill for people to swallow mm-hmm. when the truth begins to come. Yeah. And it's very overwhelming. But after you settle into it, then there's a feeling of gratefulness, mm-hmm. of, of not anger, because it, the, the, I had my anger too. Uh, not at you all the time, but sometimes. Mm-hmm. But anger at all the lies we've been told. Yeah. And then I stopped to think about it, and, and I thought, instead of being angry, be grateful mm-hmm. that you're finally wading through and all of these lies yeah. are being dispelled. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what I, one more thing I wanted to say, I made a note of it, talking about the Constitution, talking about the, quote, Revolutionary War. If you're a new listener and haven't heard me say it, in the book online on our front page at sweetliberty.org, it's titled Jewish Persecution. And as you're reading it, you'll probably wonder what it has to do with it because I was going to write an article and then decided I should have background information and it just took off on itself. But if you um, go to Chapter 12 of that book, and chapter 17 of that book is where I really started delving into... It was Ralph Borzewski's book, The uh, Constitution That Never Was, Alan. When I got that book, somebody sent it to me. I wouldn't even read it. I looked at the book and I said, this is just another book crashing our Constitution. And, of course, now I know, and I have quoted uh, especially... The part in there where he tells about, you know, after the Constitution was framed and we were framed, it took a couple of years before it was totally ratified. And um, 
one of the things that Ralph pointed out is that the judicial section of the Constitution was never completed. And they completed it with the first act that was passed by the, the Congress. And when they did that, Alan, they did it in secret. And what they were doing was inviting the state to send in uh, their suggestions. That's when the first ten articles of amendment were added into it. So everybody's eyes were on that ball while they were writing a, a, a bill that was huge. I mean, more text in it than the whole Constitution. Yeah. And it was passed, and our hero, George Washington, signed it. Mm-hmm. And, they, and that's how they did it, by keeping people's eyes off the ball, having them submit their suggestions mm-hmm. for amendments to it before they were going to uh, ratify it. Well, what they love to do, even today, is just to pretend that they listen to the people. Yeah. And because and, that's the whole con that, that it's based on, is they, they pretend to listen to us. And, and then, of course, we scratch our heads when they go off on some weird tangent. So this happens over and over and over again. But when you realize that, you see, you don't get into politics by, by being a nice person. You get into politics by joining Freemasonry to start with. And, and then you're taught to uh, go and enjoy, join boards, uh, voluntary boards in your area. And these boards always have a guy on top who's always been there. And he's, he's a selector. His job is to select those amongst them who could be used to go up the ladder in politics. And when you get invited out by the guy at the top of the board to the golf course, then you know you're on a winning ticket. And that's how the whole thing works. So I've, I've seen it myself. And so those who go into politics, they'll do anything. And I mean anything. They'll join anything as well to, to get up there. They're, they're, they have psychopathic personalities to begin with. Only a psychopath can blush in front of thousands, can, can not blush in front of thousands of people when they're accused of some of the things they're accused of. And they're a psychopath. So they live on pure ego. And they simply want to get to the top. They have no conscience of what they do. And so in this system, it's really a psychopathic winner-type system, which you can see any time you tune into some so-called reality show like the, 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 the Donald Trump show, you watch these young executives all stab each other trying to get above and, and get, to, get to, to lick the master's boots there. And it's the one who's most cunning and ruthless and, and very clever about it who, who gets the approval and gets to go golfing with Donald Trump. That says it all. That is what our system is based on. It's a, it's a, a pariah-like psychopathic system. Uh-huh. Yeah. And that's the type that go into politics. They'll do anything, anything they're told to get up there. And that's why they can lie so readily to the public. And they must join some form of masonry if they're, if they're not already born into it. They must join it. Yeah. Well, you know what? Mm-hmm. That was something evidently I knew mm-hmm. inherently <laughs> because my motto was, I'm not interested in politics. Mm-hmm. Leave that to the politicians. Yep. And I told you that my Uncle Gar Lane uh, was uh, a state senator in Michigan for 26 years. Mm-hmm. He came home from World War II with missing a leg. And they talked him into running, I guess, probably on sympathy. Mm -hmm. But Uncle Gar got in, 
And what I was told, he, he was head of appropriations committee, mm-hmm. very powerful position. Uh, but when they wanted to run him for U.S. Congress, mm-hmm. well, well, first of all, let me go back. He he he, he found out that I didn't vote, uh-huh. and he just went nuts. He said, "It's your duty." It's your responsibility. I said, Uncle Carr, I don't know which, what I had to vote for. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, they're all crooked. Yeah. And, of course, he was a senator. But, and I might be by being naive here, Alan. Mm-hmm. I don't think I am. Because my Uncle Carr and Aunt Dode lived in a very, uh, just a regular little house, you know, with three bedrooms and a living room and mm-hmm. a kitchen. Yeah. Not a dining room or anything. I remember one time when they wanted to award him a gold watch at some banquet, mm-hmm. and he said, thank you, but I can't take it, mm-hmm. because he didn't want to make it look like he's getting bribed. Yeah. And when they wanted to run him for Congress, and they said he'd be a shoe-in, because he was very popular, mm-hmm. well, he was re-elected for 26 years. Yeah. And he told me he wouldn't do it. I asked him why. He said, I'm not going out there. He said, hell. <laughs> He said they'd come up and give you tips on what stocks to buy. Yeah, that's stocks right. To per- and he said, and then they get you in their clutches. Mm-hmm. And so I think there might have been one honest politician. Mm-hmm. And never, ever, I mean, they never had, like, a cottage somewhere mm-hmm. or anything. I mean, they just lived like normal people. Yeah. So I think my Uncle Gar was honest. But, uh, well, the thing is, though, people who swear oaths to something they don't even understand because it's a secret. <laughs> I know. Tells you uh, what people will... Mm. Uncle Gar wasn't a Freemason. Oh, okay. No, no. Mm-hmm. Okay. No. Because, uh, well, if he was a Freemason, he would have taken uh, all the little bribes and investments because because the, the workman is worthy of his wages, as they say. It's a payoff system all the way up. It's a favor. Uh, they showed you that in The Godfather. The Mafia is a branch of Freemasonry. It's a branch of the Scottish Rite of Freemasonry. And, and uh, uh, Albert Pike trained uh, Giuseppe, Giuseppe Mazzini, which is Joseph Mason in, in Italian, <laughs> who took over uh, the, the, the World Lodge, basically, at the time. And he went over to, to Italy to create the revolution in Italy. And he, he founded... Uh, on one side, uh, Mazzini founded the World Revolutionary Party. His successor was Lenin, and they called it the World Communist Party. Then they changed the name. But Mazzini also authorized the creation of the Mafia. And, and the, the Mafia is a Masonic Lodge. Every side that seems to be fighting each other is actually part of the same head. Yeah. Even the Jesuits. Yes. You know, we uh-huh. were talking about Tupperstassi's book. Uh-huh. And when you read it, I had to do it. He laid, I mean, the, um, I didn't go out and resource and check out his footnotes and his bibliography and that, mm-hmm. but the way he laid it out, it would lead a person to believe that the Jesuits uh-huh. were responsible for all kinds of terrible things. Yes. Think about everything that happened. That's right. And yet, it, what, once you get it, you realize that it doesn't matter which one of them it is, mm-hmm. they're all controlled at the top yeah. by a higher and hidden hand. Absolutely. All of them. And I'm telling you what our thing as well, for those who are into the new age, you'll find that your gurus are also sworn members of the same lodges, the higher lodges. Now, now Alistair Crowley, 
who was sent out by the British Secret Service um, to, to, to do what he did, to set up cults, etc. That's who's at the head. Where would you go amongst the secret societies except the top? The Secret Service of Britain created the secret societies that you end up joining at the bottom. And Alistair Crowley went through all the different rights of the English right, the, 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 the Scottish right, and so on. And when he went over to South America to take some of the drugs of peyote with a native tribe in South America, he said in his own book that he was initiated into the higher degrees of the Scottish right of Freemasonry from a, sh a shaman in South America. Oh, my. They're all part of the same thing. Oh, my. And, that's, and, and guess who was pushing that in one of his books? It rhymes with Pike. <laughs> he, he, he went over to try to do the same thing. So here's the same con game by the same people from the same country doing the same con. Well, I like to rhyme things. Yeah. I know it, but some yeah. people might not know what you're talking about. Oh, they'll figure it out. Yeah. They'll figure it out. If I say it. But, well, that's, what, that's in one of his books, how he went over there to supposedly... The same road as Crowley took, but what he doesn't mention is that the shaman's also a mason. When um, the British came into to Canada, and you'll see this in some Masonic books, they have the picture of uh, Willie Bryant. Willie Bryant is the name they gave to an Indian chief over the Five Nations in Ontario. And they brought him over to Britain, and they gave him an English wife, a Masonic a daughter, you see. Get the gene pool going again, the family lineages. And Willie Bryant came back to, to America, to Canada. He was an Indian? He was an Indian, full-blooded Indian chief. And he sent five, half of the, the tribes to fight for the American side in the revolution, and, and he used the other half to fight, to fight against them. These are typical, what they do all the time. Alan, why do we call them Indians? Oh, well, okay, we know the con game with... with yeah, but I, I, uh, what I remember uh -huh. reading was that... Yeah, I know. Somebody lost his way in a boat. <laughs> in the Indies, and so they called the natives here uh, India. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Uh, is it more... I don't, I'm not talking PC politically correct, uh -huh. but isn't it more uh, apt, appropriate... Mm -hmm. Truly, to call them Native Americans? Uh, or, or just yeah. natives, because, I mean, let's be honest, when they, the big boys gave us countries, they gave yeah, us borders. The names, the politically correct names. Yeah. And, and they've done this all down through the centuries. They, they, they make the borders, they draw lines in the sand, and then they tax the people within to, to, to be on guard against those guys across that line there who are now your enemy. And that's how they've played this game all down through the centuries. Now, now Washington. You'll see in his main Masonic portrait there, he's got a few of them, but you'll see the, the beehive on the lower right-hand corner. I've got it in my first book. And uh, now, now he mentions the Illuminati. That's recorded in history. And he tries to make out that he knows they're there, but he doesn't uh, go any further. Of course he knew, because he was a member of it. Because that beehive, that, that beehive was a symbol of the Bienen Orden, the German branch of the Illuminati. That's what they called themselves. That's what the beehive is all about. That's right. The worker bees and all that. That's right. Uh, I have allegedly, uh, from one of the uh, museums, mm -hmm. the letter that George Washington wrote to his brother Mason. Uh -huh. Mason. Yeah. Expressing what to one of them, expressing his concern. Mm -hmm about the infiltration <laughs> yeah. of Freemasonry here uh, uh, of Illuminism yeah. by the mm. Illuminati. Yeah. 
Yeah, I know what a joke, you know. So, and of course, we also know, know that Jefferson was one himself. In fact, that's why he didn't get in the first time, is because it was known he was a member of it after he'd been initiated into France. But Benjamin Franklin was too, because when Franklin was over as ambassador to France during the Revolutionary War and living like a king, you should see that the stuff that he went through in a week, even the bows, it was quite something. Um, uh, Franklin himself became the Grand Master of, of the, the Grand Orient Lodge of France. He was the top guy. And he initiated Voltaire into it. You know what? Yeah. I think that's in Chapter 17 of the book. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I think I've got that in there. Okay. Uh, that, you know what? Mm-hmm. When I got done with Chapter 17, Alan, uh-huh. because I, you know, I had that thought in my mind at Chapter 12. Mm-hmm. And especially reading the protocols, and they always uh, take credit that every revolution that has ever been fought was promulgated by them. And uh, no, no, they don't at all. That protocol is not who you think it is. I don't care yeah. who it was. Yeah, who it's not who you think it is because, because that was circulated in France in the 1800s. Okay, I don't care yeah. who it was. Yeah. Whoever wrote it... They knew the agenda. ...credit uh-huh. for every revolution that had ever been fought. Well, yeah, but even modern masonry books do that, too. The, the brand new ones that are put out by masonry, they do take credit for all the revolutionary wars. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I mean, you know, the hidden hand will call mm-hmm. it, I guess. In fact... Uh, control. Uh-huh. The point is, when I was doing Chapter 12, uh-huh. that, that was the first time the thought came into my mind, well, uh-huh. what about the American Revolution? Yeah. You know, that yeah. was our war of independence Mm -hmm. and then I thought well why would we think that that was different than any of the others so in chapter 17 I finally got to it Mm -hmm. because it kept gnawing at me and I went and did I got done with that chapter and I just sat there Alan and I just felt totally drained Mm -hmm. totally exhausted Uh emotionally mentally yeah to find out everything I found out when I went looking. Mm-hmm. It was, uh, it was really, in fact, I think I said that, of all of, everything that I've learned so far, mm-hmm. this about has been the toughest pill for me to swallow. Yeah. Uh, uh, Our war yeah. of independence. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, it, may, it certainly made people dependent. Uh, that part's true. It's made them dependent. So, so I guess that, that's, that part's true. Yeah. But we, we live in a, an eternal, ongoing con game. And just like the nonsense we're going through right now uh, with the 9-11 deal. In, in the late 90s, Britain tried to pass, in the House of Lords, they put a bill through to pass uh, a mandatory identification card. Nothing was happening at the time. The Soviet Union was supposedly over, the Cold War was gone, and everybody's scratching their head as to why this was happening. Uh, the guy, the Attorney General for Canada was Alan Rock, uh, who's now the, uh, the UN Ambassador for Canada. He himself put through an omnibus crime bill, which is identical to, to the Patriot Bill. Oh, wow. He put it through in 98. Wow. They knew this was coming up. Well, they had to do something to get it through, though. Yeah, they knew it was coming up. They're getting all ready for it then. And that's how things are really run. It's not the guy in the front, the president or prime minister. In masonry, he's never the boss. You never put your boss as the guy who takes the heat, you see. 
Yeah. That's the that's the job of a prime minister or president. They take the heat for for the show, but it's the guy that it's the guy number two is always the boss. Well, it's like this little George Bush. Oh yeah yeah yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, I, I love this fruit talk. That they have, they, huh? I love to talk about fruit. You can teach them, and you can you can have a court of appeal, which is an apple, you know. So so it, it's quite funny all this Masonic chatter they give to the public. Yeah. They're right in our faces, and, and we don't catch on to it. Uh, well, the thing I see is that so many of the people who are involved in this uh -huh. don't realize. Uh -huh. First of all, he really wasn't president anyway, not by vote. Uh -huh. But every president we've ever had mm -hmm. was given to us yeah. on a silver platter. Mm -hmm. And even the choices we had for president, because yeah. they gave us, they, they let us actually think we had choices. Yeah. And that by getting rid of Bush, it's going to make some difference in the whole scheme of things. Yeah, even though Kerry's already said that if he had got, gotten in, the same format and agenda in the Middle East would continue just the same. Yeah. Actually, he said he'd step it up. Oh, yeah. I yeah. He would fight it differently. Because it's all in the books. It's, it's a Masonic must-be, they call it masonry. It's a must-be. When they make their plans, they don't fall back on them. And it doesn't matter which group which color see this is, this is a color coding masonic thing we're looking at here conservatives are always blue for the blue lodge okay. and every country it's the same thing they call them tories in britain uh, their opposition is labor in britain and they are red you see that's the red lodge and then of course you have the green party which is the green is the primal color in between that's the one set over to take over the world into the new era that's what the Green Party is about. Oh, wow. And, of course, we know that, that Gorbachev, when he was brought over to England by Maggie Thatcher and given the Grand Tour, um, he was knighted into the Knights of, of Lazarus, which is the, 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 the Templar cross, but it's a green cross, and that's the one he flies outside the Presidio. But, yeah, what's the, what, what's the name of his organization? Oh, oh uh, he, he actually has one of some, some global chatter. It's one of many groups, really. In fact, they run many groups, and they're funded again by the Rockefellers and the, and the Ford and Carnegie Foundations. In the uh, Presidio. Uh -huh. Yeah. And you know, he was given that, that, um, uh, that, that was actually passed uh, and licensed for him to run that place before he left as, as, as Premier of the Soviet Union. Wow. Well, who's kidding who here? <laughs> before he left, he made it well known. Communism is not dead, it just has another name. He's what he said, in fact, and, and uh, there's a great write-up in the Toronto Sun at the time about it uh, by the foreign correspondent, and, and uh, he did sit, give the whole speech, and he said, he, he says, don't believe it when you hear that it's dead. He said, we're simply moving into the next phase, and that ties right in what, what, what they found at the Rees Commission, that they were, their job was, to, the big foundation's job in America was to blend the American uh, in America into the Soviet system uh, into a seamless web and that's what we're seeing is a new system with a fascist uh, elite leadership at the top with a communistic style bureaucracy running the people below there's that is the third way yes. yeah. there's another book I want to recommend to our listeners and it's uh, the one titled Cogs in the Wheel by Mikhail Heller uh, it, it just, just tells all about he tells all about this in this book, Alan. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think it would have to be 
probably got through ABE Books or one of the used bookstores. Yeah. And there was one more thing, the movie. I, I got into this last Wednesday when you had to leave early. Uh-huh. But I talked to myself too long and wasn't able to say it. Remember when you were saying how they entertain us and they tell us what they're doing through entertainment? Mm-hmm. And the one thing I, I was referring to was what's happening today with, you know, this Mexican thing. Uh-huh. And there was a movie that we watched. It probably is available in the video stores. I think we watched it on HBO. Mm-hmm. And it was titled The Second American Civil War. Uh-huh. And this whole thing, and it was built a comedy. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. The whole thing was about immigration. Yeah. And how the, the governor of Oklahoma, I think, said, no, we're not taking them. And then they started to choose up sides. The governor of Washington State took sides with Oklahoma. He was a Chinese man. Mm-hmm. And then I think I found out later that the governor of Washington then was actually a Chinese person. I might be wrong here. But, folks, uh, it, it, it's called the Second American Civil War. And it's exactly what Alan was telling us. Mm-hmm. They build it as the comedy. I cried in that movie, Alan, mm-hmm. because I saw what was happening. Mm-hmm. And I realized that there would be people who watch that movie. Mm-hmm. And if this happens in this country, yeah. they're going to go, God, mm-hmm. that's just like that funny movie we saw. Remember that one? Yeah. Because yeah. it was built... It's predictive programming. Yeah. Yes, predictive pro- pro- programming. Mm-hmm. We're, we're out of our hour. Yeah. Alan, thank you for being here with us. Tonight. It's a pleasure, yeah. Get a good night's sleep. I will. And folks, Darren will be back with you on Monday and Tuesday. Alan and I will be back with you next Wednesday, barring any unforeseen events. Thank you for being here, and good night. Good night, Alan. Good night. <laughs>